Welcome everyone and thank you for joining us. My name is Peter Cheeseman and you are listening to the Deer Tracking Services podcast. In this episode, we take a look into the business of a game dealer, how it is run and what it can offer. So if you have an interest in eating game meat, possibly for the first time, stay tuned for an insight into what is one of the most healthiest and sustainable foods available. So today you find us at the Wild Meat Company, an award-winning game dealer in East Suffolk, where we will be talking to the director and co-owner, Robert Gooch. Morning, Robert, and thank you for inviting us here today. Uh, We're really looking forward to finding out more about what's involved in being a game dealer and what your company has to offer. Thanks, Peter. Well, good that you've come all this way and pleased to, to fill you in on what we do. No problem. Look forward to uh, delving into it and finding out a lot more. Right. So, Robert, if possible, could you just start off by giving us a little bit of background about yourself and your interests and how you got into the rural environment and such like? Yeah, so, so I'm a farmer's son and uh, I've been a keen shooting man, um, mainly shotgun shooting all my life. Um, and uh, back in sort of the end of the 90s when we had the first downturn in terms of game values um i was interested in trying to see what we could do to to market game better um and so um i teamed up with paul who uh, is uh, a master butcher and we started the company in 1999 stroke 2000 um i think our first game season was was the winter of 1999 um and um to, to, to start um, trying to market and, and promote game uh, in the local area and mm. uh, so he so it was it was a, a partnership based on the fact that I was involved in agriculture knew quite a few farms and shoots uh, Paul's background uh, as a butcher he worked for Ray Kent's in Framlingham uh, which was the uh, at that time the the main butcher in Framlingham in Suffolk and um, uh, his background was also involved in, in, in shooting in a certain way and that his, his father, um, David Denny, used to run a commercial shoot uh, on the Suffolk coast um, near Iken. That was that was all our backgrounds and, and that's why and how we got started into setting up the Wild Meat Company uh, in 2000. That's interesting. So going back to that kind of timescale, that era when you, you set up the business here, Yeah. Was there anywhere else for people to take game? Was there any other kind of sort of game dealers in the area? Yeah, so, uh, and those game dealers still exist. And um, uh, we've got a big uh, game dealer in, in Norfolk and a, a big game dealer in, in Essex um, who are on either side of us, who, who are much bigger players than us. And uh, and there are one or two small small ones who now no longer are around. Um so there's been quite a lot of change, and uh, and the biggest the biggest game dealers and the leading game dealers in the country at that time uh, was a guy called Rick Beswick, who was the the leading uh, biggest game dealer in the country, who who is no longer in business, but sold out to um, uh, the Scottish um, um, Highland Game. Oh right, That's and, and Highland Game mainly were interested and kept the the venison side of the business. Um, so the small game side of it really hasn't. Um, done so well but venison the venison side of of game dealing is has probably been the 
um, the bright star in what has been a declining declining market due to an oversupply of small game. Right, I'm with you. So when you started off, was, was the business predominantly small game, i.e. pheasants and partridges and pigeons, or was it venison as well? Uh, venison as well, yeah. So it's all... Yeah, venison as well. Yeah. It's been pretty stable all the way through. Right? Yeah, yeah. So the difference in the business is that we've now turned to becoming um, completely e-commerce based, and right. and uh, as such, we we're not a volume player like most game dealers are, um, and that we only um, our market is more higher value, uh, but low volume. Most game dealers are exporting large quantities um, abroad. And that's sort of a high volume type of business, um, which we, we don't operate in. So I, I, I'm guessing, is it the same as, as maybe a lot of business because of the e-commerce kind of setup that you have? The, the cost of running any business, let alone one that's involved in the, the food and meat industry, must be phenomenal. Does it be in e-commerce and doing stuff online really help keep reduce those costs? It were, yeah, certainly it's it certainly helped in terms of um, distribution. Um, the, the the e-commerce model of using hauliers or couriers to to, to to deliver, and the cash flow aspects of it are are positive uh, in terms of uh, getting paid prior to um, prior to delivery, which is totally reverse of most um, meat wholesaling. Uh, Models where you might have to wait ninety days for payment mm-hmm. uh, means there's some yeah some good benefits on e-commerce, but it is it's still very expensive. Uh, so we spend a lot of money on um, website development, um, ad- advertising online, mm-hmm. and um, um, social media as well comes into play a little bit. Social well, media, yeah. the word I'm looking for, the organic improving the organic listings is, a, mm. is um, and I'm just struggling with. Um, the word for it, um, but uh, yeah, get uh, and working on the organic listing SEO, so it's oh, so, with you. yeah, mm-hmm. search engine optimization. We spend a lot of money on that, mm. so that's it's all there's still significant costs in, in using an e commerce model. So, you mentioned back there a little while, um, about um, a couple of the other really large game dealers, yeah. if you like, national scale, yeah. Uh, I, I guess some of the people listening would be interested. I, I don't want to promote their business, but I'm just curious as to how things work. You mentioned Highland Game. Yeah. And by the name Highland Game, does that mean it's up north, up in Scotland? That's um, right, yeah. It is. And does that give issues for suppliers of game meat, having them collected if there's only the one? No, no, I mean, there are plenty of other game dealers. Oh, there are. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so... Um, there, there are um, forty or fifty game game dealers around the country. Right. Okay. Uh, and I say there's a, there's a big one just over the border in Norfolk here, and and south of us a big one in, in Essex, and they're both national players. Oh right. Okay. So there's, there's there's plenty of game dealers about. So the suppliers don't have any problem at the moment getting getting rid of their wares, as it were. Oh, uh, well, they do, they do small game. The problem is is that that there's all uh, well, up to now up to this year, and we can talk about what's going to happen this year. Um, but up to now, there has been oversupply, and, and most game dealers aren't interested in getting more pheasants and partridges, mm-hmm. um, unless uh, and they're not willing for well, certainly not willing to pay, and and pick up large volumes of pheasants and partridges, oh, yeah. uh, and in the last year or two, 
I guess there's always costs and overheads involved in doing that as well, which affects everybody's margins, especially with fuel prices as they are today. Yeah. It's, it's something yeah. to um, consider. So from when you started the business, which was when, did you say? 2000. Back, back in 2000. How would you say the industry or your part in the industry has had to evolve or has evolved since you started? Has it really moved on and climbed up? Or have you stayed at core base level and, and still doing what you did in the early days? Well, we've, we've, we've changed, to as I said, to a totally e-commerce platform. But before that, over the last 20 years, we've tried everything. So uh, we've, we've, we've exported, we've delivered to restaurants in London, uh, we've supplied uh, wholesale to, to butchers, we supplied Waitrose um, co-ops, budget stores. Um, um, we've done farmers markets, we've done food shows. So uh, we've explored every every, every uh, aspect that you can every aspect and 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 we settled uh, uh and what what was the defining moment for us was when well two defining moments but the first one was covid mm-hmm. uh when the, when the lockdowns came uh our e-commerce sales went through the roof at that time we were 40 40 e-commerce 40 50% e-commerce um, and the other platforms were doing the rest of the 50% of, of sale platforms but um and we moved totally to e-commerce because we just couldn't keep up with supply. Mm-hmm. We realised there was a risk, and there has been a risk, because since COVID has died down, normal shop- shopping practices have returned, consumers not buying so much online, and we've since, since had a 25% drop in orders from COVID levels. Oh, really? Um, so, um, and so we've had to adapt the business to declining declining sale levels since, since, since the end of lockdowns. But we took the we took the the, the plunge and, and went totally e-commerce from that point onwards. It was also helped by the fact with Brexit, um, being a, a relatively small operator, it wasn't worth our while exporting because of the export license uh, and animal health requirements, um, which are quite costly. Um, so for the bigger game dealers, there's absolutely um, uh, no problem them paying for veterinary inspections to allow exports. Um, which didn't occur prior to Brexit. Obviously, that that, that wasn't an issue mm. for a small operator like us, moving uh, three or four pallets a week. Um, it just wasn't worth the cost. Mm. Um, so we we that helped also helped us move out of export. So apart from your e-commerce, you mentioned supermarkets. Do you still have contacts and selling to supermarkets, or are you strictly hundred percent e-commerce now? E-commerce. Direct to consumer, right? Yeah, not at all. Yeah, I guess. I mean. Did, knowing a little bit about supermarkets it can be a, a tough um, situation dealing with them anyway because of their requirements can change fairly quickly yes yeah um the, the bottom line is <clears throat> with supermarkets is that game does not sell is not profitable per foot of shelf space uh than the other mm-hmm. uh proteins and um, being seasonal is only really sells three or four months a year so they're, they're not, to be honest, they're not really interested. Our, our, our main um, involvement uh, with retailers has been because of local sourcing initiatives that they've had. Right. So with Waitrose and the co-ops, uh, they were very good, actually, and very easy to deal with because they wanted to, at that time, compete against um, the growth in farm shops, which were taking away some client base, customer base, and wanted to offer local sourcing Um and as a result, they, they treated local suppliers like us very well. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but but we were never on a national basis. Mm. Um, so some of the other uh, some of the other game dealers have succeeded, uh, and Highland Games is is probably the leading one in getting wild venison stocked on a national basis at, right. at retailers level at retail level, mm-hmm. and um, that's very important because. Um, we want you know wild venison to be understood by consumers, who up to now have been supplied farmed venison from New Zealand by the main retailers. Mm-hmm. So move to to wild venison is something that we need to keep on pushing. Yeah, I think yeah, this New Zealand market has been going for a, a long while. I think years ago, also Spain used to be involved as well. I think there was some deer meat coming in from from Spain, which affected the game industry. Yeah, it hasn't it hasn't been an issue in my time, but um, yeah. um, the farm New Zealand something the farm uh, well, there was a Spanish farm for a while. I think. Well, I'm assuming it was by judging by the quantity, I would have thought it was Spanish farms farm at the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I don't know anything about the Spanish venison, but um, uh, by far the largest proportion of venison sold um, a few years ago was always farm New Zealand. New Zealand. Stuff. Yeah. Okay. So, obviously, you you pretty much heavily into game meat which is great and that's the nature of the business so what would you say are, are the for the retail customer especially what are the benefits over from from game meat over conventional meat that they would get from the butchers like beef lamb etc <coughs> well it's, uh, one of the main benefits now uh, is something which was um, leaked as being coming out in dimbleby's food strategy report which came out uh, um um last week um, and that was that wild venison is something which is far uh, more carbon positive and sustainable than eating beef and that's the big um, the big thing that we should be looking at now and promoting is the fact that taking out ruminants out of the countryside uh, helps not only helps for all the reasons we know about in terms of dealing with a a species that needs managing mm-hmm. um, for farming and food, uh, for farming and, and, and woodlands and forestry and wildlife reasons, but it also um, reduces the carbon uh, in uh, the greenhouse gases and is therefore carbon positive, whereas most farm meats are carbon negative mm-hmm. and, and lead to greenhouse gas problems. So that, that was actually leaked as being part of the Dimbleby report and then um, it never, it, it actually hasn't turned out to be in the, it reached quite a lot of negative press last week. I don't know if you noticed it. Um, and it has since not appeared in the government food strategy, which is disappointing. Um, but it's something that um, we should continue to push on. So I'm, ge- I'm guessing also, uh, as, as well, game meat by the sheer nature of it and how you acquire it, as opposed to um, normal, perhaps, red meats and stuff that's going through the abattoir slaughterhouse. There's a lot less stress involved in in it with the animal, um, mm-hmm. which is probably a lot. Well, it's definitely animal welfare is a very strong thing, but I mean we're always considering that anyway, yeah. and that must have an effect on the taste and quality of the meat as well. So, mm. yes, we get a lot of a lot of our customers ask us about um, whether um, um, how to avoid abattoir cold meat, mm-hmm. and. We get a lot of our customer base from those um, those people, consumers who don't want to eat uh, animals killed in a slaughterhouse. Mm-hmm. That is a big yeah, that is a big plus point for us. And I'm guessing also as well, quite 
big on the, the pros for, for your industry and your business in particular is you've got traceability and sustainability. So I would assume, I, obviously I know a little bit about venison carcasses, but carcasses are tagged when they come in. So there's a lot of information goes on that tag. So if there were to be any issues, you can finally pinpoint where it came from and, and follow up any problems yeah. or issues that may be either with the supplier or, or where it came yeah. from. Yeah. And to be fair, that happens throughout the uh, the food supply chain in all sectors. So we're no different. So, okay. yeah. So it's just, um, traceability is really important for us, but, and, it, but I wouldn't say game is any different to any of the other uh, okay. supply chains, whether it's pork, beef, lamb, mm-hmm. chicken, they will have very good traceability. Right. Yeah. Well, that's good for everybody to know. Yeah, yeah. So once you get a supplier turn up at your premises with game mm-hmm. um, and they want to deliver it into you, what is the process that they go through? Obviously, you have like a, a reception area, I assume, Yeah. for taking in game. And what, what happens when they arrive at your premises? Or how can, if you could just take us through the basics of, yeah. of what they have to do when they arrive and what happens afterwards. So, yeah, so um, they arrive at the in- what we call the intake area, which is one end. So uh, uh, a, a, a game processing plant like ours works on the basis that it has a dirty end, which is the intake end, where the carcasses come in. And then at the, at the other end of it is a totally clean end, where the finished product comes out. So we, we have a, uh, uh, like a profile of improving um, hygiene all the way through. Um, so the supplier would come into the intake area, um, and then the um, um, carcasses, whether they're deer or whether they're small game, are inspected by, by one of our intake um, um, staff uh, to check for damage. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you're mainly interested in deer, so um, we, have, um, w- we would then grade their carcass as to whether it's been uh, what we call clean, which is a neck or headshot, compared to a an engine room shot, right? And there's a different price uh, paid for the two those two air uh, t- mm-hmm. two different grades. Um, and obviously, the inspection from the intake um, intake staff would also look at um, getting the t- seeing, seeing the tag and seeing um, we tag it ourselves as well, and checking um, what temperature and what what the condition it was shot in, how it's been brought over, and and the temperature when it arrives to us. So that's all monitored and, mm. and collated, okay. and then automated by uh, a computer. When it comes in, all that information is stored. Printed, a tag is printed out, and the beast is hung up um, and approved for p- purchase. So um, that all assessment goes on um, with the supplier. There, we do have some arrangements with some very trusted suppliers uh, who um, have access to. Um, uh, our facilities uh, uh, in the evenings when we're not around uh, after hours, after normal hours, and they can actually do that all themselves. Uh, but they're ones who are, we've known for years and years, mm-hmm. trusted, and, 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 and we can confirm what they say the next morning when we look at the carcasses hanging up. And I guess that, that helps maintain the quality of the meat so yeah. that there's no... Yeah, I mean, we don't want people having to... Uh, Obviously, we like people to have their own chillers at home mm-hmm. to hang. But it, it, if you're a, a visiting stalker and home's quite a long way away from yeah. where you're stalking, and then you've got to drag it another 
uh, back to here again, it just doesn't make much sense. So yeah. we'd like people to be able to drop it straight off, straight after killing, yeah. if that's possible. Clean and that makes sense to them and, and, and keeps the, the, the food, the, the cool chain going. OK, time for a short break. Now we have your attention, we'd just like to take a moment to tell you about our range of Garmin dog tracking systems. Garmin is a global company that currently has 80 offices around the world and strives to be the global leader in GPS navigation. And it does this with its compelling designs, superior quality with best value and of course its leading edge technology. We know that when working your dog or just giving it free running exercise, it's essential for its own safety that you know where it is. With a Garmin dog tracking system, you can do just that and be able to keep an eye on your dog or pack up to nine miles away. And what's more, without a mobile phone signal. With the Alpha 200 IK, Garmin have taken dog tracking and training to the next level. It has Garmin's in-reach satellite communication system if needed, which does require a small subscription. And it works with both the old K5 and the new K5X collars, which by the way have tone, vibrate and a collar light all controlled from the handset. It has a large user-friendly full-colour touchscreen display to view your dog's location and comes pre-installed with topo-active Europe mapping with detailed views of terrain, contour, topographical elevations, summits, parks, coastlines, rivers, lakes and geographical points. And on top of that, it comes with a one-year's free subscription to Garmin Birdseye Satellite Imagery which can be downloaded directly to your device using its built-in Wi-Fi. Packed with a list of so many other features that are too long to mention here, but one great one is two-way messaging between other devices that are in range. With an additional subscription as previously mentioned, you have access to an interactive SOS system, plus location sharing and tracking, which is transferred by using the global Iridium satellite network. If mapping is not an essential feature for you and getting back to basics is more your thing, then look no further than the Alpha 10. Small, lightweight, with a black and white screen, it clearly shows where and how far your dog or pack is by means of a simple on-screen arrow. And what's more, it has a battery life that can last up to a week. So if you need to keep your dog safe, check out our complete range of systems and accessories at deertrackingservices.co.uk or give us a call to discuss your options. So, I mean, most stalkers are qualified in their experience and they kind of know this sort of thing. But when um, a carcass goes into your chiller, what sort of temperatures are they kept at? So they'll be kept at between we, between two and four. Okay, yeah. Um, I mean, the average domestic fridge is, much to everyone's horror, is seven. Um, so when the surveys, the food stand agency done surveys if, and, and consumers' fridges are more likely to be about seven degrees um but we we can regulate that so we can set the temperature um but anywhere between zero and and, and seven depending on the sort of maturity we're looking to make to achieve with those carcasses mm-hmm. and once you've got them in the chiller uh, and they're hanging there all nicely lined up yeah what's the normal kind of time scale before you process i mean do is there a hanging period that you try and stick to or do you process them straight away uh, yeah, they get processed in terms of, if we can, we skin them as, as quickly as possible. 
and then they will hang. Um, um, so uh, the, the skimming is the only thing that we have to um, we have to do in terms of primary processing straight mm-hmm. away, and then they they will hang uh, depending on the market. Um, uh, in, you know, some days we might get forty carcasses in. Uh, and they will probably be hanging longer than the days when we only have one in carcass nice. in, mm-hmm. mainly because we need a throughput. Um, but they would tr- typically probably hang for seven days. Mm-hmm. And the benefits of hanging are, are uh, as as most people are aware, yeah. So increased maturity and tenderness, yeah. fibers breaking down, bacteria breaking down the fiber and, mm-hmm. and uh, in the muscle meat and uh, making it tenderer to eat, and and also adding a bit of flavor as well. Okay. So, um, so the retailers really benefiting at the end by having their meat hung and yes, and right, processed. yeah. Okay, which is what we do try to explain to them when they they have their meat delivered, and um, they are um, sitting in the sitting an extra hour or two in a box um, after they've arrived from the office and say, "Oh well, the box was outside the kitchen, uh, outside our front door." Uh, but it's two hours. I was two hours before I managed to get it into the fridge. Mm-hmm. And you try to explain to them that's not really a problem. Yeah. Um, so consumers, on the one hand, they understand about hanging twenty-four day beef, and they look at that as a positive. But when you deliver meat in a cool box, which is what we do, which is insulated with chilled with chilled at fridge like conditions, and they get very worried about whether it's been left out for four hours in yeah. the box because they haven't been at home at the time. Or in and fact, you, it's, it's totally safe. It's you tried to, and you yeah. have tried to explain that, but there's a there's a logic gap there. So they sort of pick it up that it's just maturing and yeah. like it would be hanging in, or sitting in their fridge exactly. or hanging it in. It may our, even be benefiting slightly exactly. from it. So rather than yeah, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. So um, um, I I know you're a busy man, Robert, and yeah. I, I I got a few questions here. I sort of I don't want to rush through, but there's a yeah, lot to cover, and this, yeah. we've found out some really really interesting information so far. So. Um, the retailer especially is possibly thinking game meat oh it's been shot and therefore has got lead in it as in lead pellets and such like Um, what would you say to the retailers regarding that is it something you can deal with or is it something you just make them aware of the lead element or the the pellet element well we'll we'll start off with the perhaps with the pellet element (laughs) in the small game yeah yeah, that is something that uh, is very hard for consumers and retailers to get their heads around. Uh, for us who have eaten game uh, from childhood, we, we understand it and not worried about it. Um, the fact there's some tarnish to the to the um, finish of the of the product when it's sitting there is something that's very hard for them to 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 accept. Um, and um, we tend to uh, what all game dealers do is grade out so there's so that the only the best, mm-hmm. best possible finish uh, is presented in terms of the product supplied uh, to the to the, the retailers, um, and so what you end up is 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 rejecting over fifty percent of of the game coming in. Right. Yeah. In fact, probably only the top, only the best thirty percent in terms of small game. Right. I'm talking about now, not venison. Mm-hmm. Um, only the, the best thirty percent would would be finished as a whole bird. In a, at a retail on the retail yeah. shelf. Well, that's comforting for the retail customer to know yeah. that they are getting the best of the best, basically. Yeah. Rather than anything else. So, um, staying on the lead shot theme, and perhaps, well, not only just involving the retailer, but your suppliers as well. Yeah. Um, 
we have this thing, it's, well, it's creeping in, I think, with all game, but um, predominantly venison, of going to lead-free ammunition when the shot is taken on the animal. Um, and I believe the National Game Dealers Association announced that from the 1st of July 2022, they will be lead-free. Um, are you involved in that? And what are your plans moving forward with lead-free? Is it something you're going to adhere to and get involved with? And how would that affect your suppliers? Yeah, so we uh, are members of the National Game Dealers Association. We uh, uh, accept and we're happy with that decision as our customers have been pressing us for some time and worried about lead. Um, and we were prepared and had notified suppliers that we were going to go lead-free from the 1st of August this year, which is with the national, which is the NGDA's um, mm -hmm. commitment. Uh, but unfortunately, we've heard that one of our major competitors in the area is not going to comply and will carry on taking um, lead shot game. Which makes it very hard. If if not if, if ever if everyone doesn't follow it, um, then it makes it very hard because a lot of our suppliers will will would prefer to carry on shooting lead, I imagine, and would go to and supply the other you know, mm -hmm. game dealers who who don't have a commitment to lead free. Okay. Um, and so uh, we've decided that, if, assuming that is the case, that we won't go lead free this uh, this autumn. Uh, assuming that uh, our competitors don't, mm -hmm. um, and um, we will go lead-free for venison only, for deer only, from the 1st of January 2023, uh, which we give our customers, our suppliers, plenty of time to get ready for that date. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, the, the availability of ammunition will be, you know, really important in that regard. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. They, they can't go and shoot something lead-free if the ammunition isn't there. So, yeah. Yeah, which is a big concern. But I understand from our suppliers that those who are already shooting copper uh, and non-toxic is that they're, they're pretty happy. Mm -hmm. um, I've had various mixed messages from the, the stalking community, but the, um, the ones that supply us who've been shooting um, copper, often for the Forestry Commission and others who are already lead-free, is that they're, they're, they're comfortable with it. Mm -hmm. So that's the basis why we've just gone for venison, uh, deer on the 1st of January, which we think that would be easy enough to, to switch to. Um, whereas I think a lot of the suppliers which of small game are still going to find it hard to move across to, to, mm -hmm. to, to away from lead. Apart from sort of obvious, obvious visual inspection of a carcass, is there any equipment that you're going to have to invest in to see whether your carcasses have lead-free or lead ammunition in them. Yeah, so we we will uh, will be acquiring a uh, a detector. Mm -hmm. um, we understand on the market there are various uh, metal detectors that have a, a, a switch for lead, and can determine between different um, metals. Mm -hmm. And so yeah, we will be acquiring that to, to check um, our carcasses that come in from first of January, twenty twenty three. So hopefully then that's another plus point for the end user, the retail customer, hopefully too, if, if yeah. they are that concerned to know that they don't have lead traces in their, yeah. their game meat. Yeah. We do have a lot of a lot of emails and phone calls about lead from our consumers, normally when it's come out in the in the general media, because whenever there's a flash of talk about lead ammunition, normally from our our friends uh um 
who are against shooting it completely, mm-hmm. who, who will use the, the lead um, issue as something that they can beat shooting with, whether it's talking, shooting, whatever. When that comes out in the press, we then we get a flurry of uh, emails from consumers about it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so it's, it, it'll be a positive when the whole, whole, whole market goes non-lead-free. Mm. It always seems um, <clears throat> that the, who, whatever it is, if someone's negative about it, their voice gets heard the, yeah. the most and the loudest, and, and yeah. someone that's positive about something yeah. sits back and is uh, quieter about it than, uh, than those that aren't. So... Um, Things are looking fairly bright then in the future. I know if you're if you're looking about meat that isn't game meat, wild meat, I think they're, they tend to be seem to be struggling a little bit. How do you see the future of game meat in the UK in the next few years? Yeah, I mean the whole meat industry has has a problem um, in terms of the the, the rise of veganism. Um, it hasn't had the effect actually on markets that we thought it would. Uh, but um, there, there is um, more flexitarianism now. Mm-hmm. People are switching away from meat on a on a, a basis of eating less per week, and that's that 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 ha- I don't think it's had a significant effect on the market yet. But it it, it, it must be having some effect, uh, and and certainly the health benefits of white meat versus red meat is something consumers seem to have taken on on. Um, it's the it's the usual story. Game game meat has got a lot going for it in terms of sustainability, and uh, health and nutrition. Mm. Um, particularly the fact that it's very low fat, um, which is the main one, and also um, carbon. It is carbon positive, and we're doing work on that um, to try and get that out more. And we write we do that with blogs. So if any any of your listeners wants to look at our blogs, we talk about. Uh, those benefits and try to get that out as much as we can. Um, uh, so, but the, the, the problem is, it, the problem for the game industry, it's still a, a, a niche minority mm. uh, uh, sector. Um, it's not, uh, we, we're not very adventurous with food in this country. So this is why we export a lot of game to the continent where they have a, a, a bigger food culture, a more adventurous food culture where they, they eat game more commonly. Mm-hmm. And, and and we unfortunately don't have that culture in this country, but you know we keep pushing at it to try and change it. Mm, yeah, I understand that completely. And I think um, most or, or many companies tend to diversify slightly and adapt and have other things in the fire. Do you have any other kind of meats that you sell yeah, other so, than game? Yeah, so we've, we've increasingly adding um, local free-range brands to our... A portfolio that we sell on our site and so we're very pleased to sell Sutton Hoo Chicken which is a free range chicken brand uh, Blytheborough Pork which again exclusively free range pork um, and um, outdoor beef um, so we 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 sell free range products where we can we found a free range duck recently oh really uh, Creedy Carver Duck we have been we have been um, we have been marketing Gressingham Dark, which is a local, very very popular local brand, um, but they don't have a free range uh, um, product. So we we've, we found a free range product. So we're trying to to, to, to sell free range uh, farm meats as well. Well, that's that, that's great. So yeah, I mean, basically, people can come to you where meats concerned, get anything that they they really require. They, yeah, they can do, and it's locally sourced. 
Yeah, but and, and, and free range. And free range. Yeah, so that great. helps with that helps the the link with our um, wild meat type. There's either wild or free range mm -hmm. is what we're trying to sell. So, and we've added. Sorry, I'm just to say we've added some uh, fish. Oh uh, right. Uh, so again, wild sourced fish, uh, sea fish, um, from uh, a passion for seafood, which is a locally a local brand, a local as a shop locally. Um, so that's a new a new product line we're selling. Wow. And yeah. how's that going? Is that starting to evolve? We're just going on just going on now. Right. So it hasn't started that selling, but good. we're just adding it now. Yeah. And will you be? You'll obviously be selling that online as well. Yes, right. So, yeah. Terrific. So with the with the game meats like the pheasants and the venison and partridges and stuff, uh, people may or may not be aware that there are shooting seasons. There are seasons for shooting these species of game and also sometimes there is a, a different season for a male as opposed to a female when it comes to selling your game meat are there any seasons that have to be adhered to or can a, 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 somebody who wants to buy something buy it any time of the year from you yeah, uh, yeah it comes everything could be sold all year round apart from hairs so the the hair, the hair even though hairs can be shot all year round they they can't be sold um between the 1st of mm -hmm. March and, and and the 1st of August. So, um, but apart from that, we can sell game meat all year round, yeah. Okay. Mm. And um, we've, we're, we're sitting here now that the temperature's grouping up, barbecue season's amongst us. Mm. Do you do any specific uh, game packages or boxes that customers can have for either the weekend or barbecues or, or whatever? Yeah, so we do a, 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 game, a game barbecue box uh, on our website. And uh, we also do a free range meat box, so they've got the choice of either or, yeah, or they can pick and mix their own, so they can pick okay. off our, our list of products and produce their own box. And obviously, we, we just talked about seasons and such. Like, if it's available fresh, can they buy it fresh, or is it always supplied frozen? No, we 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 supply thawed fresh. Right, uh, <laughs> on with you. <laughs> uh, thawed chilled probably be the best description. Okay. Yeah. Um, so we, we tend to be different to, because we, we cut everything fresh to order, um, so venison, for example, might be in a freeze, a, a haunch of venison will be in the freezer. If we want some steaks out of it, we will then thaw it, cut it to order, and supply it to the customers so that uh, everything is cut fresh okay. or chilled. That's great to hear. And um, I just think it's probably become a, a popular product this time of the year. Yeah. Um, game meat. Uh, there's a lot of people that are a bit cautious about it. They're not never had it before, or not quite sure how to cook it. Is there any way they can contact your company and find out, or get advice on on cooking it, and what's the best product to, to buy if they've not had it before? Yes. Yeah, so uh, all our products have some cooking instructions supplied on the website, and they're very welcome. If that doesn't give them enough information, they can contact us directly, and we can help further. Okay. Yeah. That's terrific. Mm. all right robert well we're just about at the end of our time now i thank you ever so much for the time that you've given us today um going over this i found it really interesting and i'm sure our listeners will and we'll be sure to put some some links and such like on the podcast and our website uh, so customers can get in touch with you if they need to so robert thank you very much for your time not at all thanks for having me on on, on your podcast So once again, thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed this episode. 
so you don't miss out on any of our future shows. Depending on what platform you're using, please like, share, follow, add to your favourites or subscribe to our shows. And don't forget, in our episode notes, there is a link to send a voice message. Although available on many platforms, all of this is so easy if you open a free account at anchor.fm. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. And to find out more about us, what we do and our training days and products, please check out our website at deertrackingservices.co.uk.